All right, welcome church. Glad that you are uh, here this weekend. You should have been given notes on your way in, and if you want to grab those and uh, look at them in just a second, we'll jump in and we'll teach on that. Uh, I want to make a quick announcement, something we're excited about. You've seen it uh, over the past couple of weekends at all of our campuses. Our uh, global experience, it's our missions department, is having a missions week uh, the 14th through the uh, 20th, and a uh, number of different things that are going on with that, and here's what I would recommend that you do. If you've seen the videos and it piqued any interest in you, first, we've got some great speakers that are coming to that. Some of the best that we have at uh, JFC come in uh, for this, and you want to be a part of that. There's uh, ways that the whole family gets involved in it. So here's what you would do, jfc.org. As soon as you open up uh, the front page to the website, there's a banner right there. Click it, and it'll give you all the information that you need for that, uh, for that uh, week. But let me tell you what I wrote in my notes that I felt like would be worthy of you um, uh, sort, of, sort of positioning yourself for why you should be involved in it. I wrote down three things. First one, uh, we have an unbelievable missions department in our church. And I don't know if you know this, they have a budget of, they, they do over a million dollars a year in missions. Uh, it's a tremendous ministry. Pastor Jonathan Murley uh, runs that, and, and uh, he and um, uh, Evan Matat, uh, handle all of our missions department. They just got back from doing a pastor's conference. Listen to this. Uh, they were in, uh, what, what, th what, Thailand? Is that where they were at? So they were, they were in Thailand ministering to pastors who pastor under communist regime still. So they had to come out from where they're at into Thailand so that they could actually do the conference. We supplied the worship. We supplied some of the teaching, a lot of the ministry that went on to about 200 pastors who literally, folks, they don't have buildings that they meet in. Uh, imagine meeting, um, you know, literally uh, uh, in the bush or wherever they're having to, uh, to have their meetings at. They have to do it in secret. They lay their lives on the line to meet like that. Our guys are over there doing ministry to them. That's where a lot of your money got spent last week. Um, and we were just so proud of that. It was just a tremendous missions department here. It's a chance for you to see some of the different things that are going on. Uh, Part of what Jonathan's goal is, and it's a pretty lofty goal, he wants 10% of our church on a short-term missions trip next year. So I said, how close are you to achieving that goal? He said, we have 9% already signed up for 2014. So I think that is just, that's unbelievable to have that many people on a short-term uh, trip next year. And then last but not least, you know, we've been talking about this, and I, I'm just going to throw it back out to you again, especially in the series. We're talking about hearing from God during difficult times and how the Lord can use things in our life uh, in order to speak to us, things that we wouldn't always say are pleasant or easy or fun or whatever, but, but they're things that, that uh, we used it like, like what Joseph said, what the enemy intended for evil, God can use for good. And I've just been talking about positioning yourself in the middle of when you get an opportunity so that you can interact with God, so that you can experience God. All right, so this week being set up next week, here's the bottom line for it. Why should you be involved in it? Because you want to experience God. If you've been praying that in any way, position yourself. So many times we take the attitude, hey, God knows where I'm at. If he wants to touch me, he can certainly come into my house and touch me. You can't live life that way. The Bible tells us to pursue God and to go after him and to be the ones who, who are like, hey, we're hungry for this. It's an opportunity for you to experience God. So if you want more information, our website, jfc.org, there's a banner right on the front page. Click that. It'll give you all the different information. If you want to just participate in a couple of different things or you want to be part of the whole thing, you can uh, sort of come into it any way that you see fit for yourself. But check it out. I think it will be worthy of your time. All right, on your notes, uh, the series is called Tomorrow. I want to welcome all of our campuses into our meeting right now, not just Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, 
those that live stream us right now and those that will be listening in a couple of weeks. However you're a part of the Greater JFC family, we want to welcome you and thank you for being here. We really are uh, glad that you're a part of JFC. Uh, we pulled the title of this series from Psalms chapter 30, verse 5, the second part of the verse, David is writing, and David writes these really powerful words. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So we just pulled the title tomorrow based on this scripture right here, and here was the thought and the idea that um, all of us at some point in our life go through difficult times. What David wrote is true. Weeping may endure for a night. There's always a season in our life where we go through difficult things, but it's a season Life is, listen, life is not a scene, life is a movie. You don't get stuck on one little thing, it's a whole thing that plays out in front of you. So while we may go through different things that last for a little while, they all have a shelf life. Trouble has a shelf life, a beginning and an end, and you will come out of it. You will have a tomorrow. And so that's what we named the series. Now, where it came from was simply this. We were in the middle of another series that we were teaching on, almost done with it, and we ran into some things where personally I'm dealing with just some, some struggles and some trouble in my life. And I thought, what a chance to teach on it while going through it. So here was the deal. A lot of times when we teach, and I think that this is, this is a fine way to teach, we just teach because it's theologically true. Now, we believe those things, and when they, when they hit our lives, we live those things. But not everything that we're teaching is something we're experiencing right then and there in life. Does that make sense? But all of a sudden, I find myself going through some difficulties, going through some trouble. I've talked about those things for the past couple of weeks. Won't go into it again tonight. But here was the bottom line. that I, I thought, what an opportunity to use it as a chance to teach while going through some difficulties. Not just this is theologically true, but that we're doing these things right now. We're living these things. And the amount of email in the past two weeks... Folks, it's been absolutely overwhelming what, what the Lord has been doing with it, what he's been saying to people, how it's been ministering to people. So, hey, thank you for that. Tonight, though, here's where we're going to go with this. Under the transition point, I'm going to talk about disappointment with God. Disappointment with God. Now, first, let me say this. Theologically speaking, I know that some of you in here don't have any room in your theology for the idea that you could be disappointed with God. You get disappointed, but you can't say what it is that you're disappointed with, so you have no room for this. But the truth of the matter is, as humans, we can be disappointed in our relationship with God. Here's the reason why. We tend to put false expectations on what that relationship is supposed to be like, on what we think God is going to do, or how he thinks we're, he's going to do things. We, we tend to think a lot of times that serving God should keep all trouble out of my life. And when we have trouble, then it tends to let us think that, man, was God not faithful, or was God not powerful, or does God not care about me? That's just simply, it's wrong thinking. But we can end up in places where we're disappointed with God. So I put right below that, here's a theological truth that everyone in this room who calls on the name of Christ, if you are a believer, this needs to be a truth that you hold on to. You've got to think right about God at all times. Now let me give you one thing that you need to think clear on. God is good. Let me try that one more time. God is good. Do you believe he's good? So here, here's the thing, even when we don't feel like God's good, we still need to believe God's good. Did you get that? We've got to hold on to that truth. We never let that truth go. So here's where I would try to teach that a little bit tonight. I would talk about the necessity of renewal in your mind, the way that you've got to think correct about it. If you, let me, maybe I'd go this way. Um, right now, uh, because of all the different things I'm dealing with, I'm reading a lot about how to keep myself thinking correctly. Here's what I know. Your brain, left by itself, during a time of trouble, turns into mush. Anybody else ever experienced that right there? 
It just tends to, it'll turn to a sewer, man. It goes downhill. And you begin to think very negatively about life. It begins to get into all areas of your life. It, it won't just stay confined to the one place you're having trouble. Pretty soon it seems like everything is experiencing trouble. And your mind just tends to, to go downhill. So I, I read a lot on the mind. And let me, let, me, let me tell you something. This week I read, I thought it was really cool. Uh, the guy talked about the difference between the brain and the mind. The brain and the mind. Here's the brain. The brain needs oxygen. It needs glucose. It needs the ability to, to have things around it that influence it both positively and negatively. But the mind is the mind of Christ. That's not supposed to change regardless of what happens to a believer. And so the mind is what we begin to focus on. I mean, you know, the battle for your life happens right here between these, these, these six inches right here, these seven inches. It's, it's right here. This is where your life is fought right here. You win or lose it on this level right here. So I, I'm reading a lot on the mind and the difference between how to, how to think correctly and not let your thoughts just go downhill and how to hold on to what's true and what's right. And so I, I, I'm reading a, a Henry Cloud. I don't know if you know the name or not. He's a Christian writer who's influenced me a lot. Uh, he, he's actually a, a psychologist. He's, he's, a, he's a, the guy's a brainiac is what he is. He's very influential, uh, speaks a lot of different places. I've actually heard him speak in the last year a couple different times. But reading a book right now called um, Boundaries. And, and part of the point that he makes is uh, he uses the idea of a pessimist and an optimist and a study that was done at Harvard. And this isn't a, a Christian study. This wasn't, this wasn't done in, in order to corroborate something in the Bible. It was just simply a study that was done. And he took people who, who rated very high on the IQ test but were very pessimistic in their life. And then he took people who didn't rate so high on the IQ test. He called them dumb, but they were very optimistic in life. And he, and he said, so a study was done. Th these were two people who, one, very, very smart, but very pessimistic in their life. The other one, not quite so smart, but very optimistic. And they did a deal. This was uh, uh, based on sales. The ones who were not as smart, but were optimistic, did 53% better in their overall income in life based on the fact that they were positive and not negative. So you can be smart, but if you're negative, you lose. And you can be not quite so smart, but if you're positive, you can win. For a lot of you, you should go amen to that right there. It made me feel good. I felt good after I read that right there because I didn't qualify on the smart thing, but I did qualify on being positive. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'll win right there. So the guy gets into a number of different things that he's talking about. And one of the things, I, I talked to our staff recently about this. He, he was talking about how to stop a downward spiral. How to stop a downward spiral. That it happens in the mind. That it gets into the brain and begins to influence how we think. And everything can go bad. So he gave, he, he called it the three P's to thinking correctly. And he said when a person begins to go downward in a spiral, here's the three things that happen to them. Number one, they begin to take everything that happens personally. Like, what's wrong with me? God is punishing me. This is, some, uh, this is for some sin in my life that's unconfessed or not taken care of. And he said it becomes per everything that happens is taken personally by people who begin a downward spiral. You ever been there? Something that happens, you don't just see it as this happens to everybody. It only happens to me. And then he said if you don't correct it at that level, then it becomes pervasive. And it gets into all the places that you think in life. He said, so it would end up in places like this. Your statement would be, when it becomes pervasive, that, that this is, everything is bad. Not just this area, but my marriage is bad. My health is bad. My spiritual life is bad. 
my church, my pastor's good, but my church is bad. So, so <laughs> just see if you're listening. Thank you. Yes. And then last but not least, so, so if you don't stop it at that level, it, it's, it, it's personal, it's pervasive. Uh, last but not least, it becomes permanent. It becomes a part of the way that we think so that here's what we be, I'll never get out of this. It will never change. I will never see the light of day past this. And he said at that level, you're, you're in such a downward spiral that it, take, it really takes the miraculous touch of God to pull people back out of that a lot of times. Not even counseling will help. It, it becomes something where it's got to be stopped. So he talked about how do you stop a downward spiral, and he listed two things that I thought were, were interesting, and I just wrote them down, and I'll, I'll jump back to the notes here in just a second. But he said the first one is dispute the negative. Dispute the negative. Now, scripturally, is that true? I, I was looking today, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, capturing every thought and bringing it under the subjection of Christ. Is that not disputing the negative in our life? So that when the here's the problem with the negative though, we tend to think without thinking about what we're thinking about. That's really deep. That's you got to really you got to write that. Yes, Rich, think about that. Right, I can see you working on that one right there. We tend to think without thinking about what we're thinking about. It just is automatic. A lot of times we tend to have a script that we run. We fill in, the enemy's really good at giving us a sentence and we fill in the last few words of it, aren't we? We, we can do that well. We tend to write a script for our lives. So he said you've got to be able to dispute it. And then the second thing that he said, this one was interesting and this one I know to be true, but I never thought about these terms. He said your brain was designed to connect with people. It needs love. If you isolate yourself, the enemy will work on you so hard that it's almost impossible for a person by themselves to pull out of the downward spiral. But connecting with people, God designed you to connect with people. So he uses another study. This is back in the day when they could use monkeys for a lot of studies. And they put this poor monkey in a cage, and every time the monkey tried to go to sleep, they'd blast a horn. They'd flick the lights on and off, so it really stressed the monkey out. The poor monkey stressed. So without changing the stimulus, all they did was take another monkey, put it in the cage with the one that stressed out. 50% of the stress is gone from the monkey without changing any of the stimulus, simply because he had a buddy that was in it with him in the middle of a storm. Isn't that the way we're designed? You know, whether that's through a spouse, whether it's through a friend, whether it's through a whatever relationship there, having someone that is on your side that you can connect with that is for you during tremendous difficulties helps to pull you out of a downward spiral. thought that was interesting. I kind of closed the chapter off that I was reading this week. He wrote these two things. He said, here's how it works in life. Here's the two things ultimately that you're responsible for, what you create and what you allow. Is that not true? What you create and what you... He said the most difficult thing you'll deal with is managing yourself. Not managing other people, managing yourself. Getting yourself to think the right way. What you create, the way you think, and what you allow, what you don't dispute, what you put up with, what you allow the enemy just to shoot at you. All right, so if we were going to just take some of those thoughts, let me jump into some scriptural truth here. The necessity of renewal. Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, uh, I've actually taught on this several different times in our church, but he uses this really powerful scripture. You can look at it in your notes. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be, what's the word there? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. So transformation comes through renewal. 
Now, interestingly enough, this is being written to a church. This is the Roman church that he's writing to. These are not non-believers. These are not people who don't know God. They know God. They love God. But evidently, it's possible to be born again and not have a renewed mind. Yes or no? It's very possible. And then here's another thought. You don't have renewal happen one time in your life. Renewal happens ongoing in your life so that you could serve God for 30 years and be very strong in the scriptures. But if the wrong set of circumstances comes your way and you're not having your mind renewed, you can go down the tubes with the circumstances. So we can have people in here tonight who love God, who are committed to God, who have given themselves to God, but their lives aren't lived with that joy and with that life. Why? Because they're losing up here. Does that make sense? So here, and here's how we pray. God, rescue me. God, change my circumstances. God, pull me out of it. Here's God going, all right, here's, what I've, here's the tool that I've given you. You can transform your mind through renewal. And if you do that, you can come out of the circumstances. But we're like, no, touch my mind. I don't want to have to exercise the tools that you've given me. They are tools. We've got to think the correct way. So let me finish the scripture. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. I love this part. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So God's will is three things. Good, pleasing, and perfect. Do you read any negative in that? Don't read any negative in it. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. So even in difficult circumstances, God's will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. So when Joseph writes what the enemy intends for evil, God can use for good. That's where God's at. God is not trying to hurt us. So when I write... A little bit before, here's theological truth that you've always got to hold on to. God is good. If you lose that in the day of adversity, you'll lose the battle. You've got to hold on to the fact that God is good. You've got to say that. You've got to believe that. When those thoughts come to you, that's what you need to address those thoughts with. God is good. He's good. He's not out to hurt me. He hasn't just given me over to the enemy to do whatever he wants to do with my life. He hasn't lost control of the universe. God is good. All right, so his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. All right, let me, let me just give you an idea here. Um, when I say that our minds have to be renewed, I don't think people recognize, we tend to think, if there's any one area, maybe this is a better way to say it, if there's any one area in the church where people need renewal in their mind, it's the way they think about God, more than anything else. So I've heard people tell me the weirdest things about what they think God thinks about them. I'm walking out of this sanctuary. A couple years ago, had a woman stop me in the back who told me, God gave me cancer to teach me a lesson. Now, now here's the deal. I'm walking out. This poor woman is suffering. She says this to me. I I can't agree with her. You get that, right? I can't go, oh, you're right. You know, my real thought is this. If God's giving you cancer, lay down and die right now. It's over with. Is that cruel? I mean, if you really feel that way about God, are you big enough to outfight God? I mean, if he's going to get you, you're done. So she says this to me. I want to say the right thing to her, but I can't agree with her. So I, I just say this to her. I said, look, uh, in the Bible, every time Jesus came across somebody who was sick or who was ailing, did he heal everyone who asked to be healed? She said, yep. Yeah. I said, okay. So if the son is taking sickness off people, but the father's putting sickness on people, then the father and the son work in opposition to each other. And Jesus taught this, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Somewhere your thinking is off. Now, can God use anything? You bet. But does God give us cancer? Not if he's good. See, now here's the deal. People in this room are like, I don't know. 
Am I theologically safe to say that God doesn't do things? Yes, you are. You really are. All right, so we think the wrong way about God. Like when we think about God's love, people tend to think when they say, especially people that don't know God, God is love. But they don't, what are they saying when they say that? So I used an example years ago. When I first had grandchildren, I recognized in in practical ways that people think about God's love. They tend to think of God as a grandfather, not a father. So let me give you a great example. So my second grandchild, Evie, just a few months ago, she had a date with Papa, and I'm her BFF. It's the highest level a Papa can go to in life, man. I'm her BFF, best friend forever. She uh, had arranged to hang out with me for a day, and this is what she said she wanted to do. She wanted to go to Build-A-Bear. Build-A-Bear. Anybody not know what Build-A-Bear is? Wait till you have grandkids. You'll know. <laughs> Trust me, you'll know. Um, so I, I extend the day, and I said, okay, here's what we'll do. I'm going to have your mom drop you off early. We'll go eat breakfast, and then we'll go over to Build-A-Bear, and then we'll go eat lunch, and then we'll just hang out at my house. So she gets there early. I said, where do you want to go to? And she said, she waited till her mom left. She said, take me to McDonald's. <laughs> Let's go to McDonald's. But before, I've got a candy drawer at my house. She went to the candy drawer, grabbed a bag of Jelly Bellies first. Eats a bag of Jelly Bellies on the way over to McDonald's. And we get to McDonald's. I said, what do you want? She wants a burrito and an orange juice. We get that. She plays at the playground for a little while. And then when she gets tired of that, she comes out and says, let's go to Build-A-Bear. So we go to Build-A-Bear. I had taken $150 out of the bank. I thought this will cover anything that could happen at Build-A-Bear. <laughs> Cannot cost more than $150 at Build-A-Bear. Three stuffed bears later. <laughs> and outfits. Little roller skates and... Wings and dresses, robes. What, didn't, I, didn't I get robes and beach towels, right? Beach towel. I mean, we got the whole, the whole thing. And she rings it up, and it's almost $300. And I'm like, you have to be kidding me. And, and so here's the, you pick out the bear, and then you go to this next station, and they go, uh, do you want the little sew-on heart, or do you want the real one in the chest that they can push and hear the heartbeat? And I'm like, we'll take the sew-on. And she goes, no, I want the real one. We need three of them then. So she played me well. We walk out of there with three Build-A-Bears. And then we go eat lunch and we go back to my house. And how many of you would admit that is a perfectly spoiled child? That you can't get much better at spoiling somebody than that right there. You agree? So that is, that is, and then here was the thing. The other ones found out what I did for that one. So then a couple of months later, we went to Phoenix and I took the others over to the mall, and we all got Build-A-Bears at the mall. So I spent a lot at Build-A-Bear. Some of you should buy stock in that if you hear what I'm saying. A grandfather has the great luxury of spoiling a child. I don't have to think in terms of how this child's going to be raised or the discipline that this child needs. Not, listen, not is entitled to have a family who cares, but a child needs discipline. I don't have to think that way. I don't have to think about 
what this is doing in terms of the next time she goes out with her mom and dad, this has set a new standard. <laughs> I don't have to think about it. Say, I, the bottom line is all the candy and all the junk food and all that, we just had a good time. It's what a grandfather does. I play that role really well. <laughs> but I raised five of my own. And I didn't spoil them that way. Because I had to worry about how they were going to turn out as adults. I had to worry whether or not they would feel entitled. You know, entitlement today in a generation coming up is unbelievable, man. Give me a job because I'm here. With her, I didn't have to worry about is she going to turn out to be a productive person? Is she going to understand that this isn't how real life works? I just playing a role as a grandfather. Her mom and dad have to worry about all those things. When I raised children, I worried about those things. But as a grandfather, it's totally different. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. is that many people tend to think of God. When they say God is love, they tend to think of God like a grandfather. The way God loves me, if he loves me, he'll just spoil me. He'll give me whatever I ask for, more than I need. He won't discipline me. He's not concerned about how my future turns out. It's more of a cosmic slot machine. I prayed, pulled the handle, give me stuff, God. Can I say God does not exist to give you stuff? We exist to worship God. God exists because he's God. So people tend to say it's, it's incorrect thinking. When we tend to think of God as a grandfather, when he doesn't perform that way, we're disappointed with God. Not that God did anything wrong, but our expectation was wrong. Fair? Is it true? Because God didn't give me what I wanted. God didn't, he didn't jump when I called his name. I couldn't play him. Thinking the correct way about God becomes absolutely crucial to make it through any difficulty. Because if we go through difficulty and our thought is, hey, God's just going to reach down here and pluck me out and I won't go through. Whom he loves, he disciplines. That's what the Bible says. Like a father disciplines a child. Let's put right below that another illustration. Under the idea of expectations, there was a book I read several years ago would totally recommend it. If you're going through a difficult season in life, the book was titled Disappointment with God. Philip Yancey wrote it. So here's a, here's a thought that I hear a lot from people tend to um, explain their understanding of God working this way in the world, that if God would just show up, do something, some miracle, everybody would see the miracle, everybody would fall on their face, and everybody would believe that God exists. They'd believe that he's real, and they'd follow God. So he uses this example. The children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt for 40 years, wandered in the desert because of disobedience. But for 40 years, here's what God did for them. Every morning when they needed to eat, he rained manna down. Would you call that a miracle? Yep. And when they needed in the evening to eat, he actually had the birds of the air bring them food. Their clothes never wore out. Any parent in this room want just that miracle? <laughs> just that one. Put the rest of them away. Give me that one. Their clothes never wore out. If they were sick, God healed them. To follow God, 
a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God was so available, so there, did so many miraculous things every day for 40 years that if the conclusion is if God would just show up and do something miraculous, everybody would serve him, here was his conclusion in the book. He did that for 40 years, and every other day the children of Israel backslid in disobedience to God, even though he was doing the miracles every day. Miracles are not the proof that God loves us. Miracles are not necessarily the way that people follow God either. Faith becomes a big part of it, yes or no? Just the correct belief that God is for me, he's not against me. And whether I feel that way today or not doesn't decide how I live my life. I'll live it based on the truth, God is good. So regardless of what happens, I'll think correct about it. So your mind has to be renewed in thinking about God because just like I said, even the issue of love will tend to think of God as a grand, some misconstrued idea about how God operates can pull you straight down the tubes. You've got to have your mind renewed. You've got to have truth about who God is. Meeting with the teaching team in putting together this message, I don't remember who to give this credit to. It came out in the meeting when a bunch of people were throwing in ideas, but one of the things that was said was this. So I just put down the teaching team. I'm not sure exactly which pastor said it, but what was said was this. What we believe today frames our tomorrow. Do you think that's true? Yep. What we believe today frames our tomorrow. I totally think they were right on with that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 from the message. I don't like to use the message a lot. It's a great, you're just going to have like a, another translation you want to read modern vernacular from. The message is great, but I don't think it's a great Bible to teach from because it sort of uses language that pulls too far away from the original. But you'll find a verse in it that's really cool from time to time. I love the way the message translates 1 John 5, 4, and 5. Look at this. Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is what? Our faith. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. Now, when it says the world here, it's not talking about the globe. It's not about the planet. It's talking about the system that we live in, the way the world does what it does, the way the world thinks, the opposition as a believer that we come up against. They think opposite. So he's saying right here that the conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Powerful, powerfully written verse in the message. So I wrote down then three things when it comes to thinking the right way about God. These are three non-negotiables. Three things you cannot pass away, you can't toss them away, you can't put them away. They're not things that you pray about. They're not things that sometimes I feel this way. You've got to hold on to these three things regardless of the circumstance in your life. First one is God is faithful. Say it with me. God is faithful. When stuff happens, that's the first thing that you should say. God is faithful. Never let that go. Never give up the truth when you're going through a difficult time in life. Hold on to truth. The only anchor you have is truth. So years and years ago, dealing with two couples who simultaneously ended up in marriage problems, didn't know each other, unbeknownst to each other completely, they come for counseling. So 
With the first couple, we begin to counsel them, and they had so many relationships in their life that when they were thinking wrong, people would tell them, here's the truth. Hold on to each other. Don't let go. You can work it out. You won't feel the way that you feel today, tomorrow. Hold on. That couple made it, and they're still married. They're going strong. The other couple, no relationships. So that when the enemy attacked them, no one was there to buffer or to dispute what was true in their mind. They let go of truth, man, and divorced each other. Now, is divorce all from people who don't get truth? That's not what I'm saying. But in this case, two couples simultaneously, almost at the same place in life, one makes it, one doesn't. I can tell you for a fact, the difference was one couple held on to truth and made it through a rough sea. The other one drifted away because no one was there to dispute the lie that was going on in their head. So what was the lie? I don't love this person anymore. I have no emotions for this person anymore. It'll never change. How many of you know love is not an emotion? Wow. Let me try on this side over here. Love is not an emotion. So does it have emotions with it? You bet. But love is a choice, yes or no? If you ever raise kids, you know love is a choice. So someday you feel, oh, glad we had kids. Some days you're like, take them back, God. Right back. But you choose to love. So love's not a feeling. While it has feelings that come with it, and that's what makes it really wonderful, love is a choice, man. Love is truth. When you go through a difficult time, I'm telling you, these are non-negotiables. God is faithful. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Say it with me. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Is that truth or not? I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Why is it that we feel in the middle of trouble so lonely, and like God has left us and he's rejected us? That's what has to be renewed. That's what you're fighting against. The problem, listen, Whatever problem you're facing, it will come and it will go. It has a shelf life. The natural way it's going to work out, it will come and it will go. You will not always feel the way you feel right now. But the truth of whether or not you make it through it intact is to hold on to foundational truth. God is faithful. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Even if it feels forsaken, God has not forsaken me. Does that make sense? So let me give you the second one, non-negotiables. A finished work. Now, here's what I mean by that. Years ago, um, during a teaching team meeting, God just spoke something one time that was so, it was so powerful. We were talking about Easter. We were talking about the work of Christ on the cross. And, and I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, when Jesus, I, I used the scripture, Matthew 27, 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. He's on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It's Aramaic. And in Aramaic, it just simply meant, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus went through being forsook by God, everything he did on the cross was so that you and I never have to go through that in our lives. Jesus died with our sin on him so that you and I never have to die with our sin on us. He took what we deserve so we could have what he deserved. Everything he went through so you and I don't have to go through it. So when Christ reaches up to the Father and says to him, why have you forsaken me? While God turned his back on the Son because of the sin that was on his life, He'll never turn his back on you because Jesus was forsaken. 
hold on to the finished work of Christ when you go through a difficult time. The finished work of Christ is that God will never, ever forsake you. Jesus went through that so that you don't have to go through that. So regardless of your feelings, the truth is Jesus paid the penalty so you never have to feel that way. You never have to feel like God has left me or God has betrayed me or God has left me behind or God has not been true to his word. God is always true to his word. He's always true to it. The non-negotiables. God is faithful, a finished work. How about this one? God never changes. He never changes. People change. Circumstances change. You can't go through life and not have things change on you. But one thing that doesn't change is God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same yesterday, today, and forever. How about James 1.17? It's almost the exact same thought. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He stays the same. He never changes. It's never, ever different in his mind. He never feels different about you. He never lets you go. All right, so again, I get asked in the preparation for coming up here, how do you want to end this? What do you want to do with it? And I've tried for the last two weeks to intentionally stay away from closing a message where there's a lot of emotion to it. It's not that I don't believe emotions are powerful. People make decisions based on emotions. I, I get that. But some decisions aren't supposed to be emotional decisions. They're supposed to be made because it's true, and we just make our mind up because it's true. So when it comes to closing out all of these messages about the fact that God is faithful and that God will get you through and that God will never leave you, I don't want an emotional decision. I want a heart of someone who just gets that's true, that I will believe it's true, and regardless of how I feel, I will live by the truth. So at what level do we live our lives by truth and not by feelings? When does that start? When you're 40? So I passed that a long time ago. I know that's not true. 50? Well, I'm hitting that now, and I still know that's not true. How about this? Anybody out there that's 60? Is it true at 60 that your emotions no longer have to be the thing that you have to live your life by? Or could it happen at 15 or 20? The moment you decide that what Jesus said is true, you can live your life that way. Regardless of what happens to you, you can be solid. You can be set. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure what to say that gets a person, okay, that's what I want to do. So where do, you, where, do you, where do you lay it at that says, okay, make your mind up to do this. It's the thing that will make the difference in how you live your life. I think people are so attuned to, I just want God to touch me and I want to feel. Feelings have nothing to do with truth. Choose truth and your feelings will follow your decisions. Your feelings have followed your decisions so, so far in your life. Choose truth and they'll follow after truth too. Does that make sense? All right, so I come in. How to pastor, how do you want to end it? I guess with that thought right there, choose truth, man. Live in the truth. Make up your mind. I'm holding on to this and I'm going to do this. And this is what the truth is. I think this past week, 
dealing with just a lot of emotional things right now. Having to deal with problems with people. Personal loss that I'm feeling. Man, the enemy is there constantly. And that unrenewed mind is there constantly just to lie to you. You're not going to make it. This is what here. We begin to, we picture how things are going to look in the future. And with an unrenewed mind, they look negative. They look like tragedies coming. They look like it's going to be terrible. Just going back to that place, I'm going to live in today. I'm going to make up my mind for today. I'm going to hold on to this truth today. If you can just do it today, you'll win. You'll win. think maybe then it's just that reality that I would end this time that we have together on is do you want to make that decision? Do you want to hold on to that truth? And I guess the only way really to sort of move the church into it would be the opportunity just to ask God to do this in us, to make up our mind, to say this is what I'm going to believe. I know this for a fact. It has very little to do with emotionally how you feel. You have to just grab on the truth, regardless of how you feel. In fact, if you wait till you feel like doing this, you'll never feel like grabbing on the truth. You've got to do it right now, regardless of where you are. I'm going to hold on to truth. Your feelings will follow your decisions. Father, that's exactly where I think the message probably needs to close itself out on that feelings follow decisions. I think, God, a lot of people that will hear the message this weekend, their emotions have betrayed them, but they need to recognize they've made a lot of decisions which has enabled their emotions to sort of control their life. Fathers, this is just spoken, as it's just given right now, just asking that the Holy Spirit would communicate truth to people. These are eternal truths, God. Things that we believe that are not just a part of what Jubilee Fellowship believes, but the community of believers at large is supposed to hold on to these truths, know these things. Again, Folks, I don't know all the different things that you're dealing with right now. If I tried to name just the things that come to my mind, I would still fall so short of trying to cover all the people just this weekend that will hear the message. I know that some of you are dealing with some things right now that if it were revealed... it would seem impossible. I know that what you're dealing with right now crashes into the message that I'm teaching and you're thinking, Pastor, if you had to deal with what I'm dealing with, you wouldn't be so quick to say, ignore your feelings and hold on to truth. 
Church, I would tell you, this is not my truth. This is the truth of God. This is not little, some little thing that I've just told myself to feel better about my situation. This is what the Bible says. It's eternal, not changing. And so when you're facing what you're facing right now, dealing with what you're dealing with, literally, you want to get through it? You want to stay intact? You want God to be able to work his work in your life? Here's what you have to do. You've got to choose to hold on to truth and to think correctly. I would just challenge you right now. Any place where this message is just like, Pastor, if you just knew, you couldn't say it that easy. You couldn't do it. It's just not that easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying, though, it's truth, and this is what God gives us to work our way through these things. Hold on to the truth. Make a decision that doesn't have anything to do with your feelings. I believe God. I'll trust God. Regardless of how I feel, I will hold on to this truth. And then watch what happens to your feelings. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. Father, if this is true, then bury it deep in the hearts of your people. Cause it to take root right now, God. Let it be able to be grasped by the people who hear this message, Father. Not just theologically it's true, but it's the truth that they're living, the truth that they're able to use, the truth that they're able to wield. And I thank you for that, and I give you the credit, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So the back part of our service is the time to connect with God. And here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. So we set up crosses. We set up the candles as a place of prayer. We offer communion. It's grape juice in the back and self-serve. If you come to the front, it's wine, and the pastor will serve you. You get to choose whichever one you want. If you want to go by yourself, you want to go with a friend, or you want to go with your family, I would encourage you. It's a wonderful time to experience connecting with God with your family. But here's what I would encourage you to do. Don't just say amen to a message, sing a song, and go your way. Connect with God over this issue right now. If you're struggling with stuff, that's exactly what those crosses are for. Christ brought all of our stuff to a cross, and that's where he dealt with it. That's why we put them in here. It's a place for people to go and let symbolically be the place where you deal with stuff. Leave it at the cross. Christ handled it at the cross. If you need prayer, seek the front of our altar or the people standing in the back wearing the lanyard that says prayer. You can go there. But don't just say amen to a message and then go about your way. Let the truth of God change your life. Let it impact you. Engage with God right now. Find God in this message. Find God in this place. Tell him yes. Watch what will happen. Stand to your feet, if you will. I'm going to give our service over to our worship pastors right now at all of our campuses as they close out, and they'll give us direction on how to respond to God.